Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Amen. Thank you, Sister Diana. We'll invite you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter number 5 tonight, as we continue through this uh, tremendous book of the Bible. Sister Bonnie, how many times have you read your Bible through? Do you know yet? You've lost count. Me too. I was just curious. Uh, you were talking about reading it again, and I thought, well, I wonder how many times if she's kept count. I uh, appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord all these years. What a blessing. Uh, does it, has anybody ever kept count how many times they've read through the Bible? I never have. Brother Leroy? Six times. Amen. Good. Anybody else? Yes? Forty times. Amen. What a blessing. And I hope that this year, if you've never read through the Bible, that this year you're determined to read the Word of God. What a difference it makes in your life uh, and really changes your heart when you put your mind and your heart on things above. Uh, Also, I was just blessed by the many, many uh, just different testimonies here tonight, everything from uh, our, some of our newest members to uh, those that uh, have been with us a very long time, and just a blessing to know that our God is faithful. Well, in Revelation chapter 5, uh, we're going to see Christ lifted up, and we're going to answer this question, is He worthy? And the, question, the answer obviously is, yes, He is worthy. Uh, And you know, we think about Jesus Christ a lot here at Hillside. He is emphasized as the preeminent one. We want Him to be the forefront of everything. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, He said, I will draw men unto me. And so we want others to know Him. And so we talk about Christ a lot. We want to and we send out invitations to people in our community that includes information about Jesus and how they can have a relationship with Him. We share tracts with people about how they can know Christ. We, uh, matter of fact, Tuesday night we're going to be mailing out Bibles uh, to people in our community in an effort to help tell people about Jesus Christ. You see, we sing songs about Jesus in church. Uh, glory to His name. Why? Because Jesus truly is worthy. We encourage our children to learn songs and memorize verses like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Over and over and over again, we emphasize Jesus and we're devoted to Him. And so why do we devote so much time and attention to Jesus Christ? And as I asked you a while ago, is He worthy of all this attention? Is He worthy of all this, this uh, sacrifice? And you know, you think about uh, the tithe, and you think about your missions, and you think about your giving, and is He worthy of all of that? And I think in, as we come to Revelation 5, it answers this question, uh, the worthiness of Christ, very, uh, almost as if there was a great exclamation point at the very end. And yes, He is worthy, without any doubts. Jesus is worthy. And so the next time we're tempted to maybe back off a little bit, next time we're tempted to maybe not open our mouth and share the gospel of Jesus, remember, He is still worthy today. 
He is still worthy of our affection and our love. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, as I just kind of draw you back into where we left off, Revelation chapter 4, we find John here at the throne room of God. The angel invited him up to heaven. He was there with the Lord. He was able to see some things that were really too marvelous for description. And it's almost as if you're trying to describe colors and, and, and uh, the sights to a blind man. John does his very best to be able to record for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what heaven is like. And in, in this invitation, we saw that there are things that were difficult for him to describe. He saw the throne of God. He saw the 24 elders sitting around the throne. He saw the four beasts that continued to sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He saw the worship of the beasts and the elders of Him that sat on the throne. I tell you, it was just a tremendous, tremendous chapter as we saw the throne of God. And yet, the one thing that has been missing from all of that is the Lamb. Notice we haven't seen the Lamb yet, but now Jesus his, makes His grand appearance in chapter number 5, and we see the Lamb of God step into the spotlight here, and He fills the stage of all that's going on, and His uh, magnificence cannot be understated. As every eye is drawn to Him, and the response is at the end of the chapter, an endless applause. I tell you, it is a glimpse of this special time of worship that, uh, we, we, uh, that even today we try to be a part of as we sing songs to the Lord. Uh, that is our desire, is that it would inspire us to set our affection on the Lord. A.W. Tozer said, What is worship? Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe an astonished wonder, an overpower, uh, overpowering love in the presence of that most ancient mystery, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father which art in heaven. May we worship Him tonight. As look at the Scriptures with me in Revelation chapter 5, we're going to read the, the chapter in its entirety here together. In verse number 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of Him that sat on the throne... A book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are uh, the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. 
And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands and of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and they that are, uh, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful passage. Lord, just a a picture for us of all the incredible beauties uh, of worship that we will behold and even be a part of one day. Lord, may even now, Lord, as we lift our voice to You in song, may it be a sweet savor unto You. May it be uh, just an offering of praise that's acceptable in Your sight, O Lord. And so, God, would you help us, Lord, to see tonight in our heart of hearts, Lord, in our desire that you are worthy. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see in Revelation chapter 5, there's a couple of things I want to point out here. And in the first four verses, I want you to see that the challenge of God here is proclaimed. So in this first section, in verses 1 through 4, there is a challenge that is revealed to men and to angels, to principalities and powers. He reveals it to everyone. Who of all of God's creatures is fit to rule the world? Who is worthy to receive the scroll? Now listen, in verse number 1, he says, uh, our attention is drawn immediately to uh, the book. Now the book, in, in our mind, we think of a book and we see a binding, something like this, that opens out flat, but in that time it would be more of a, a rolled parchment, uh, something that would be uh, almost like a scroll. And so as a result, uh, this scroll is what I'll, I'll refer to it as, but this scroll would represent the title deed of the earth. Now, this title deed was given uh, by God to Adam, who lost it through his sinful uh, fall, uh, and so uh, now Satan holds that title deed. But listen, for that reason, Satan is in control of the world, and, and from the time of Adam until the glorious appearing of Christ. But listen, John wept because he knew that this scroll represented this title deed to the earth, and that as long as it was left sealed, Satan remains in control. But listen, there is coming a day when our God, who was victorious over the grave, will be victorious in this earth as well. I'm telling you, this is a tremendous passage as we come here and we see all of these things unfolding at the throne of God. We see that our God is not some puny, pathetic God that so many of the world want to make us believe, but instead He is alive. He is a God who is still living today and He is still at work and His purposes will not be usurped by some little uh, Satan and his minions. Listen, we serve a tremendous God today. You see, an illustration of this is seen in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Look in Jeremiah chapter 32 with me in just a moment. Jeremiah had warned Israel that if they did not repent of their sin and and turn to God, they would go down into captivity for 70 years. We saw this happen in history. You can go back and see this. It's played out in the Old Testament. But Jeremiah was writing uh, before this. And because they refused the warning of God, their judgment... Uh, was imminent. 
And so through the same mouth of the prophet, God promised that they would go down into this captivity and for 70 years, but one day they would return unto the land that God had given them. And so to prove that they would return, God told Jeremiah to do something strange. God always does interesting things, doesn't He? Uh, he's not a God that uh, uh, is just, uh, uh, just kind of bland. He's a, a God of creativity. Man, I'm thankful that uh, for, for many years our country has been a blessed country because we've uh, feared the Lord. Uh, but uh, I, we see those blessings slipping away because we have turned our back on Him. But one of those blessings is creativity. America has led the way for many years as being a creative nation. We create a lot of things. Well, one of the things that God did was He told Jeremiah to go down and to Hanamiel, and this is Jeremiah's cousin. He had a piece of ground. He said, listen, I want you to buy this ground from your cousin, even though it will be worthless in your lifetime. You see, one day your descendants will be able to own this property. And so the Bible teaches us that Jeremiah went down and bought the property. Look at Jeremiah 32, verses 9 through 12. It says, And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and waved him the money, oh, excuse me, weighed him the money, even seventeen shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it, and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of uh, Neriah, the son of Maaseiah, uh, in the sight of Hanamiel, my, uh, mine uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. Now, let me just kind of remind you. So the prophet comes to his secretary and said, okay, this is what I want you to do. You're going to uh, make this. We're going to seal this. Uh, we're we're going to make sure that everybody in the gate knows what's going on. There's a transaction being made. I'm purchasing this land. And then we're going to take it. We're going to put it in a, in a, in a, uh, in a jar. We're going to seal it up. We're going to preserve it because one day my descendants will be back to this place and they're going to be able to receive this land. Now, obviously, uh, if you were... Uh, if you were uh, the, uh, Jeremiah's cousin, if you were these guys sitting in the gates, then, then they're going to be thinking, well, why in the world would you waste your money on this land unless he truly believes what he's teaching? You see, and Jeremiah really believed everything the Lord had told him. He believed that they would be taken into captivity, but he also believed the promise that they would one day return. You see, but in this, what we see is this, uh, this idea that they would take this parchment, this scroll that had the title deed, and they would seal it, just as we see in Revelation. And it's the same picture in the Old Testament that we see now in the New Testament, that as John is, is looking at the throne of God, and he sees this angel, and this angel is proclaiming who is worthy, we see that there is one person, and one person alone, that is able to, uh, to open the seals. Listen, all through heaven, all through hell, all through, uh, all through the earth, there was no one that was worthy to open this seal because none of us could ever uh, purchase back this land. Only Jesus Christ. And so if we, when we go back to this scene in Revelation, we find this angel has gone forth and he's looking. Who would be the rightful heir of the world? Listen, many people over the years have thought that they uh, were willing to rule the world, right? We think of Alexander the Great. He went forth to conquer and did conquer. Genghis Khan or maybe Napoleon or Hitler. But the question is not who is willing. The question is what? Who is worthy? 
what a difference. You see, the ranks of the living and the dead, those that were on earth, those that were in heaven, those in hell, they were all combed for a worthy king, but not one was found. Abraham was not worthy. Isaac, Jacob, not Enoch or Elijah, not David or Solomon, Peter, Paul, James, John, Jude, none of these. And so as a result, there was a deep silence that was felt in heaven. In verse number 3, it says, And no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book. No one could. Suddenly, this, though this silence is broken in verse number 4, by an old man who saw the situation and his heart was broken. And he says, And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book. You see, he knew what this was. He knew the, the importance of this one thing. And so the proclamation of God in this moment broke the prophet's heart. It broke the old seer's heart as he desired so strongly for God to get the victory. And then in the midst of all of this, in verse number 5, we see Christ is presented. In verses 5 through 7 here, we see where Christ enters into the grand stage of all that we're seeing. And so for the first time since John has been in heaven, he finally notices Jesus Christ. In verse number 5, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. He says, Don't despair. Remember, and, and, and instead what he said was, Behold, look, here is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Church, let me tell you, weep not, but behold Jesus Christ today. Man, in this world, in this time, we need to get our eyes upon the Lord once again. You see, God never leaves Himself without a man. And in this hour of crisis, He had one ready in the wings, and His name is Jesus Christ. As John stood there choked with the sobs of one, and one of the elders came down, he just simply said, listen, get your eyes on the Lord. We look at this and we see, he says, he calls him the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. There's a couple of things here that struck my mind as interesting. First off, this, this idea of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, this is a great proclamation because isn't that what the Jews had been searching for when they crucified Jesus? They looked for this bold conqueror who would come in and destroy the armies of Rome. They had wanted a king who would smash the power of all those who would oppose Jerusalem and make Jerusalem the capital of a new world. But the last thing they wanted was one meek and lowly, so they crucified Jesus. But now we see here in verse number 6, the position of Christ. And, we, and it's interesting that uh, in verse number 6 that John could have missed him. It says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Stood a lamb as it had been slain. So initially, maybe as John is weeping, his head is bowed, and the elder comes to John, he says, listen, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is here. He is the root of David. He is the one who has the right to sit upon the throne. Uh, not only is there the blood lineage, but there is uh, that, that victor over the death and victor over uh, the cross. And uh, he says, listen, this man is able. He's worthy to sit upon the throne. And then he looks and he sees the lion, the lamb. Now, there's a couple of things about John that I love. One, as we go through the book and the gospel of John, it's interesting to note that John oftentimes refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved or the beloved of Christ. He truly loved Jesus Christ. 
So it's not like as if he wouldn't have recognized Christ, but maybe he was so taken up with all the sights and the glories of what heaven must have been and so preoccupied with the throne and the emerald rainbow and and the thundering and the lightnings and the sea of glass and the elders and the cherubim and all that, that, that he was seeing there, he completely missed the Lamb. Let me just, just point out, this is a warning we must all heed. You see, among all the trappings, among all the, the things, we can miss Christ amongst all the glitter of this world. We can come and go about our business. We can even listen to sermons and, and, and hear uh, and read passages from the Word of God. We can sing our tremendous hymns of the faith, and yet we can still miss the Lord in the midst of it all. Remember the promise of Christ that He said to us in Matthew 18 and 20. He says, For where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them. And so it's easy to be able to look at John and say, John, what did you, how could you miss Jesus standing there in the midst of all that's going on? But let me just say that sometimes, Christian, we can be guilty of the same thing. We can be guilty of coming to church and we can be guilty of singing the songs, but our heart's not in it. Our passion is not for the Christ, but it's for our own, uh, maybe the pot, uh, the, the pot roast in the stove or, or whatever it may be. I don't cook. Do you cook them on the stove? I don't even know. But listen, our, our concerns and our, we could be consumed with everything else in the world except for Him. And Paul says this, if you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this old earth. So listen, don't be consumed with all of the trappings and the glitter of this world that's going to pull you away, but instead, may our earnest desire be in this new year that His presence will be enough for me. I don't have to have anything else in this life as long as I have Jesus. And if I have everything in this world, but I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. You see, because my desire... My hope and my prayer is that we will know Him more than any other time in our life. And so we see the position of Christ right in the midst of all. But in the second part of this verse, we also see the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look in that verse with me as we continue. It says, And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth, into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. As John turned to behold a lion, what he saw instead was the lamb. Listen, John, the Lord Jesus Christ is called directly the Lamb of God only twice in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, verse 7, as well as Jeremiah eleven nineteen. But in the Gospels, again, only twice. John 1.29, John 1.36, we see John the Baptist refers to him as the Lamb of God. In the book of Acts, one time, and only once in the epistles is he called uh, the Lamb of God. But here in Revelation, he's called the Lamb of God 28 times. Thank you. I was looking for that response. You know, as a lamb... He came to save, but as a lamb, He comes back to subdue. You see, He's just as powerful the first time as the second time. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, in Revelation, we see that Satan postures himself as the great red dragon. 
The world powers during the tribulation will be placed in the hands of the fearful beast. The militant foes of God are massed on the earth and in heaven and hell, and hell, and they are numbered by the countless millions. Yet against all of them, God sets His Lamb. And let me just tell you, if we read the back of the book, we win. He wins. Listen, that one Lamb is enough. And sometimes we wonder, God, do you need a little help in this situation? Lord, can I help you along in this answering this prayer request? Amen. But I remind you, He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to come along beside Him and give Him a, come on God, get into, in, into gear. Listen, His timing is perfect. His ways are higher than my ways. And I don't always understand, but I can tell you this, I can always choose to trust Him. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. He says, But God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of this world, and the things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. You see, this is no ordinary little lamb. It wasn't Mary's little lamb. Amen. This is the lamb that had the seven horns of omnipotence, the seven eyes of omniscience. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, But unto them which are called both the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is Jesus Christ tonight. Suppose someone would have asked him, listen, what is the basis of your claim to be able to grab the title deed to the earth? There's three things I will mention. One, Christ is worthy because... He is the Creator. Remember in John one uh, one uh, and one excuse me John one one through three we see that uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, and we see even later I think it's verse three it says and all things were created by Him and without Him was not anything made. Listen, Jesus Christ was there. He was the one that was active just as the Father and the Spirit in the uh, the work of creation. And so He was there because He is the Creator. He is able. The second thing we see, this world belongs to Him because of Calvary. He redeemed us. Sometimes I think we forget what it cost Him to redeem us. Listen, He bought it with His own precious blood. Now I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. And then thirdly, one of these days, very soon I believe, it will be His because of conquest. You see, the only language the unregenerate heart of man understands is that language of power. And one of these days in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will come to destroy those who rise up against Him. You see, yes, He's a lamb, but don't mistake Him for some sort of weak creature. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. What a tremendous Savior we have. Now, as we see the final portion of this, we see the choice of God is praised. As we see all that's going on, we see the, the proclamation, we see the problem that was there in verses 1 through 4. No one was worthy. We see the position of Jesus Christ, and now we see God, His choice is praised. Verse 8, it says, and we pick up here, And when He had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy. He says, well, listen, we know you're worthy. We know you're able. 
You see, once the Lamb is introduced, this worship is immediately ascribed to Him. There was no lag time here. It was almost as if John saw, there He is, there's the One. And as soon as He receives the scroll, all of heaven rejoices because Jesus Christ is worthy. Neil Martin, who was a member of the British Parliament, was once giving a group of his constituents a guided tour of the House of Parliament in England. And during the course of the visit, the group happened to meet Lord Halsham. And he was then the Lord Chancellor, and he had all of his regalia of everything on of his office. And so when he saw Martin among the group, remember his first name is Neil Martin, he said, Neil! Well, and everybody in the group immediately obeyed and they kneeled before this one. You know, it's kind of, kind of a silly illustration, but the realization is as soon as Christ was recognized for who He is, they all began to worship. You see, may that be our heart's position tonight. As soon as we recognize who He is, may we choose to worship. Verse number 10, as he says, or he goes on in verse number 9, let me continue there. He says, For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Listen, these, these creatures, all that are in heaven, they, they, they take their prayers before God. I, I love that verse number 8 re, uh, helps us to see, listen, uh, uh, that our prayers are never unheard. Never stop praying. Never stop uh, seeking the Lord. Christ even said this. He said, man, not always to pray and not to faint. He says, listen, make sure that you continually give yourself to prayer. John Phillips wrote of this moment. He said, oh, the wonder of it all. That heaven's beloved should beggar himself. Should be born in a barn. Should be commonly called the carpenter's son. Should journey through time as a homeless stranger in the very world his hands had made. Should suffer unspeakable indignities and barbarities at the hands of His creatures, should be butchered on a cross, and above all, should be made sin. These are wonders that will never cease to draw out the awe and worship of those at the very focal center of things in glory. You see, that's why we worship Him today. We worship Him because He is our Lamb. It is Calvary that fills their vision. It is Calvary that prompts their worship. And as we sing praises to Him, I can't help but also be drawn back to Calvary and drawn back to that day in January 31st, 1988 when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But even more, 2,000 years ago, when Christ would hang on the cross for me. There's an old song that we sing sometimes. It says, I love to tell the story. And it says this, And when in scenes of glory I sing, I sing the new, new song, Twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Man, what a glorious thing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He is worthy. You see the triumphant anthems, they swell and they, or they roll out to the furthest reaches. Look at number 13 with me. It says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under earth, and such as are in the, uh, the sea, and all that are in, the, in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. You see, they reverberate with, uh, and throb with all of heaven with the praise of Jesus Christ. You can almost, if you've ever been in a crowd, of, uh, like a, 
like a, uh, a ball game and, and we, you begin to chant something and maybe it's uh, uh, defense at a, at a football game. You'll hear the crowd begin to, to chant defense, defense, and over and over. And we see, you hear the crowds just really racket it up. And, and it's almost like that as John hears all the mighty voices in heaven and chorus singing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. You see, but this praise is not isolated to the throne and it can't stay in our church buildings. You see, this praise needs to go out. John saw it reach out in these last three verses, uh, last two verses here and we will see uh, one day where God fulfills this in a tremendous, tremendous way because deep in every heart will be the absolute conviction that the choice of Jesus is wise and just, and blessed, and honorable, and glorious, and irresistible. And God has placed into the hands of men our decision whether we will accept Christ as our Savior or not, but the decision whether we will acknowledge Him as Lord is not ours. You see, because the Bible says in Philippians 2, 9, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, He will be praised. He will be praised by all, no matter where they may be. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, Stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?